I can turn over to Matthew 5, title the sermon, Dealing with Desire. You know, desires are something that we face on a regular basis in our life. You know, sometimes it's the desire whether or not to exercise and be in shape or be lazy. And uh, I am familiar with both of those desires. Right now, it's, it's been a good phase. Uh, I have the desire to stay in shape. I'm uh, going to ride a century ride August 17th, so that helps because I know I need to finish. And so, you know, it's like when you're in the blah mode, you just kind of, the thought of working out is just like, ah, oh, it's a hassle, it takes energy. You get done, you're going to smell, be sweaty. You know, la laziness just pays off right now. I don't, I don't sweat, comfortable. You know, and maybe you are wrestling with that in your life. Psychologists say it takes about 40 days of doing something repetitive before it becomes a habit. No, maybe it's the battle with eating. You can desire to eat junk food. Or you can desire to eat healthy. I'm also familiar with both of those desires. That I have a lot of influences in my life of people that try and steer me toward the healthy end of the spectrum. But there are, there are times where I actually desire to eat healthy. You know, and it's like... One of those things is, is like soda. You know, soda for me is one of those things. I, I don't really like crave it on a, on a regular basis, but it's funny. If it's there in the fridge, I want some. And if it's not there, I actually enjoy water and coffee much more than soda. But if it's there, then it's a competing desire. You know, I do have a sweet tooth and... Many, uh, you know, a cake, a two-thirds of a cake or a pie have been given to the Ford family. Not because I don't like it anymore, but I know that if the cake or the cookies or the brownies or the pie sit there, I'm going to want to eat all of it. And so if I give it to them because they have three little kids... I serve the children. And then I can be healthier. How about the desire to be alone by myself or to be closely connected to others? You know, th those are competing desires. Sometimes we go, ah, I just want... So meantime, I just want to be by myself. I just want to be alone. And then there's the other side going on. I want to be connected to people. I want to have deep friends. And each one of those desires entails a whole different lifestyle, energy, pursuit. You know, it's a lot easier to be lonely. But there's a whole set of consequences that come with being alone. 
You know, desire in and of itself is not good or bad. But desires are not going to go away. The question is, what are we doing with the desires that we have? And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Well, filled with what? Contentment? Satisfaction? You know, desire is a, is a rat race. You ever seen a hamster run on a wheel? Puts a lot of energy and it never seems to get anywhere, does it? That's the way desire is in life if we're going after the wrong ones. We wear ourselves out and every night we go to bed and every morning we wake up no more satisfied regardless of what we accomplished. And yet Jesus says, if we're going after the desire to hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. I mean, what an amazing statement. Who doesn't want to be filled? Who doesn't want to feel satisfied? Who doesn't want to feel, you know, at peace and just content with my life? And Jesus says, well, it's going to depend on what desire you're going after. I'll tell you who's really been an inspiration lately is Chris Bradshaw. Had a chance to have a quiet time with him, and it was just awesome. Hearing his heart for God expressed. And he was telling me about the different people that he's been praying with and, and just, you know, having an incredible time connecting with God with different brothers and his faith and his just desire has been inspiring. I left feeling just built up. I'm like, that's awesome. Why? Because he's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. He goes, I'm doing better than I've ever done. He said, why? Because of what Jesus says right here. He's hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And so he's filled. We can be filled. You can be filled. Say, what are the desires of your heart this morning? You sit there. What, what did you walk in with? You know, when you go through the buffet line, you got to choose what you're going to eat. And we can feel like a victim of our desires, but really what the Bible is going to say is that it's a choice that we make. Go to Romans chapter 8. By the way, point number one are desires are good and bad. Romans chapter 8. Verse 5 through 8, it says, Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live according, uh, in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. 
It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. This is what Paul says to the church in Rome. He says, those who live in accordance with the sinful nature have their minds set. They are fixated. They are focused. That is where their mental and heart energy goes. But it says, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. You see, it's not random. It's not by chance. It's not an issue of being a victim. It's what your mind is set on is going to determine how you live. You know, Paul says that the sinful mind is, is hostile. There's a lot of turmoil. You ever feel like mentally you're just in turmoil? There's just like angst in life and you don't know what to do and it's not clear and you're frustrated. See, Paul only gave us two choices. He said, well, the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. He says the sinful mind is hostile. Say, which describes our mindset? You know, life and peace does not mean trouble-free. I mean, earlier in Romans, he talks about that we got to suffer to produce that maturity in, in our character. And so don't think that, oh, if I have a mindset on the right things, I will have a trouble-free life. That is not what this is saying. It's saying in the midst of trouble, there is a peace and spiritual life that occurs. Say the converse is, is hostility, the rebellion, the frustration, and the angst. Say, where is your mind set? It's so easy to want to give the right answer. Oh, my mind is set on the right things. Well, is there hostility and angst or is there life and peace? Paul just says, hey, those are, those are spiritual indications of where your mind is set. Uh, go over to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Paul is sharing this to the church that's struggling um, they, they grew up in a Jewish background, and, you know, for the Jew, everything was about obeying the law, obeying the right set of rules, and if you break it, you make the, the sacrifice to atone for that. And so it was life about regulation. And so they're kind of wrestling with the concept of grace, and they're not sure, you, you know, where they're at in the situation. And Paul is giving them input, and he says in verse 16 and following, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. The sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, 
orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Well, Paul says there's a real battle that goes on in every man and every woman's heart, mind, and soul for what desires are going to be gratified each day when you live your life. And we know this to be true. I mean, is the theory the hard part of Christianity? No. It's the practical implementation. How many times do we know the right answer, but we struggle to live it out? Sometimes we even feel like, man, there's like two of me in here. One that's good and one that's like my, my twin. <laughs> that was just to see if you were paying attention. But you go, you know, some days, isn't it easy? It just feels so easy to be righteous. And other days, it just seems like, why is this such a battle? Like, what happened to me? Yesterday was so good. Today is such a struggle. What is the deal? It's because the battle will go on eternally for what desires are going to run the show and be the decision-making values of your life. See, Paul says, let me tell you about the sinful nature. Let me tell you how you win. He says, you crucify the sinful nature with its passions and desires. He says, you're not going to successfully repent of your sin if you just hang on and nurse all those desires and passions, but just think that somehow you're going to be able to stop at the action phase. He says, no, you, you got to kill it way back at the desire stage. Now, sometimes we think, well, if I'm just open, then I'm repenting. No. If you're living what is righteous, then that's repenting. And you say, well, I just feel like I struggle with the same thing again and again and again. Are you going after it at the desire level? Which leads me to the second point. Watch out for tempting opportunities. Not every opportunity is a good opportunity. God will present us with good opportunities, but Satan will present us with opportunities that will destroy us. How many sins have you ever committed that after the fact, when you're in a good frame of mind, you go, I'm really glad I did that. Your sin always makes sense at the time. 
But never after the fact do we see the real price and go, oh, that was worth it. I remember a time taking a friend out uh, for dinner uh, for his birthday, Chinese food. I said, what's your favorite thing? He said, I love duck. And I go, good, because I love duck too. So the waiter comes, and I said, how much is the roast duck? And he goes, the half or the whole? And I go, oh, we want the whole roast duck. And he says, well, that's $14. And I go, all right, let's get the entire roast duck. Ordered a few other things. The duck came out. I said, well, this, this looks funny. I go, this is the duck? And he goes, yeah, that's the duck. I'm like, well, that didn't look like any roast duck I've ever had before. It had some breading on it. And I'm like, how do you roast a duck with breading? And I thought, well, maybe this is some new Chinese technique. The bill came. I look, you know, one of those, you look at the bill and you're like, uh, that's a lot bigger than what I was thinking it was going to be. So I start looking down the bill. And the duck was like $35. So the waiter comes over, everything okay? I go, well, no. I said, you told me the whole roast duck was like 13 bucks, And you charged me 35 And he goes, well, you didn't get the roast duck. I said, well, what did we get? And he goes, you got the house special duck. And I said, well, I didn't want the house special duck. And he said, well, you ate the house special duck. And I said, but do you remember me ordering the roast duck? And he goes, yes. And I said, then why did you not bring me the roast duck? And he goes, well, I brought you this. I go, well, I don't think you should charge me $35. I think you should charge me 13 And he goes, yeah, but you ate it. And we went around and around and around for about 10 minutes. And I was getting upset. And I said, can I speak to the owner of the restaurant? I thought, surely reasonable thinking is going to prevail with the owner. I mean, after all, they own this business. So I calmly explained what happened. I knew it was going south when he goes, did you eat it? <laughs> yes, I did. And he goes, then why are you complaining? I was like, huh, I guess the waiter was well-trained. <laughs> and I said, you served me what I didn't order, charged me three times the price. That's not right. It's not fair. And he said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. And I'm thinking, okay, he's coming around. He goes, I'll just give you some free food to go. And at that point, I was like, fine. And I left. You know what? It robbed me of the enjoyment of that meal. I did not get what I wanted. I did not get what I thought I needed. And you know what? I love duck, and that dish was fine. 
To be honest, the roast duck is better. And then I had to pay a lot more money for it. I left frustrated. And you know what? Isn't that exactly the way sin works? Sin promises so much fulfillment. It's going to make you happy right now. Yeah, you know what? You could have character. You could persevere. You know, I saw a shirt and it said, Perseverance has value for the future, but laziness pays off immediately. Yeah, sometimes it's just kind of that simple. Eh, who cares? Sin always promises what it can't deliver. Jesus says you want to be filled, you got to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And any other pursuit is going to leave you hollow and empty, hoping for more. The next rung of the ladder, the next purchase, the next promotion, the next accomplishment, and it's never going to get you there. In Luke chapter 4, one of the most famous passages on temptation in all the scripture, Jesus gets baptized and he goes out and fasts for 40 days and night. And at the end of it, Satan comes and tempts him in three various ways. And we're not going to study that out right now, but what we're going to focus on is verse 13. It says, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Opportune for what? Temptation doesn't happen at random. Satan knows when you're strong and when you're weak. He knows when the wrong passion and desires are on your heart. He knows when you're focused on righteousness and when you're not. And he's waiting for an opportune time. One of the great promises in the Bible is in 1 Corinthians 10. First Corinthians 10. Verse 13. It says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Is it possible to be tempted beyond what we could bear? If God were not involved and it was just you and Satan, yeah, it's actually possible. But so God steps in and he says, I will not let that happen. 
I will never let you be in a situation where you do not have a righteous way out. I don't care how much tragedy, turmoil, sadness, pressure, angst you feel. I will always make sure that you have a righteous way out. I'm not going to make you make a decision that you refuse to, but the righteous way out will always be available to you. Say an opportune time. You ever go to a grocery store when you're hungry? My wife buys groceries. I don't. I go to the grocery store when I'm hungry. And that's dangerous because depending on how hungry you are, you start, you know, hallucinating about certain things. Oh, that would be good. You know, and I don't like how grocery stores are arranged. I always figure that like the three or four things I want are in opposite corners. It's never efficient to get in and out of there. But it's like ordering at a restaurant when you haven't eaten all day. You order more than you can eat, or maybe you order more than you should eat. You know, Satan is waiting for you to give him the right opportunity. Have you? Are you? Are we choosing the way out? James chapter 1 tells us this about temptation. James chapter 1 says in verse 13, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, let me explain something here for a moment. God will test us, but testing, the goal is maturity. Satan tempts. And the goal of temptation is destruction. Now, sometimes it may feel the same way, but God has righteous intentions to help us grow spiritually. Satan is trying to get us in a trap. But we need to have a right understanding about temptation because sometimes we want to blame God when we sin. Well, the Lord tempted me. The Lord allowed me to be tempted. Yeah, the Lord will allow Satan to do his work within the boundaries of never more than what we can handle. But James says, let's make it real clear. You know why the temptation is there? Because each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. You know, the fact is, in our life, 
no matter how many desires we have, there are certain things that are easy for us to pass by. We do that, we do that when we walk into a mall. We do that if we're hungry, even when we walk into a food court. We're like, eh, 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 oh. You say, but I thought we were hungry. Yeah, that just doesn't sound good. Or I need to buy some clothes, or I need to buy an outfit, and we like look at the window, uh, no, not that, not that. Like not everything is equally tempting. The whole reason that, that there's a temptation in the first place is because of a desire that's on the inside. One of the things I don't like to do, but I must do, is take responsibility for the temptation in the first place. You say, well, how do you take responsibility? Well, by not saying things like, well, I was just living life and I fell into sin. Really? That's not what James 1 says. James 1 says the desire was in your heart and you finally acted on the desire that was in there. So really what we're saying is I didn't deal with the sinful desires that, you know, were a part of my sinful nature and I just left them in there day after day and week after week and eventually I acted on the wrong desires that were in there. See, that's how we take responsibility. We will not be victorious if we put it back on God. Say, what, what desires are working? You say, is the desire the death? Nope. Desire is just part of the progression. It says, desires conceived. There is an action upon the desire that puts into motion consequences. And sometimes we can live with the desire and feel like since we haven't conceived anything out of it, it's fine to live with it. Nope. Because see, Satan doesn't care if he can conceive with that desire this week, as long as he can do it next week or next month or next year. And so just because a simple desire hasn't taken us out today, doesn't mean that that desire is not in there waiting to do what sin does. We must go to the desire level of our heart and crucify it. So we're not white knuckling at life going, oh, I got these desires, but I just can't do it. We will not repent if we just sit around with all the desire trying to not do bad things. We've got to change the course of our life. We've got to focus our mind and our heart on things above and thirsting and hungering for righteousness. Then the Bible says we'll be filled. Then we don't have to white-knuckle it our way through life. We can live victoriously. The third point, final point I want to bring up is other people are a key to continuing 
the righteousness. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, there's a principle in recovery. This is something to this effect. Once you are recovered, giving your recovery away to other people keeps you recovered. You say, what does that mean? Well, what it means is if you recover, but don't pass it on, you will eventually relapse. You say, well, why is that? Remember where we started in Matthew 5? That when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. I was thinking about this concept. You don't care about giving to somebody else if you're empty. Once your tank is full, now you have something to give. In Psalm 51, David had been confronted with his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah against the whole nation of Israel. David had blown it. But in Psalm 51, verse 12 and 13, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. He says, you know, I, I, I got to get the right heart. And he says, then I'm going to teach transgressors your ways. You see, when my heart is full, when I'm where I need to be, then I have something to give to somebody else. So, so what does that mean? Well, It means if you struggle to care about other people, your own tank is not full. You're not filled. You know, we're not not supposed to wake up in the morning and go, okay, today I have to care about people. It says it's a natural overflow of a filled up heart. See, you fill up the right desires, you won't be able to help yourself. But if you're on the hamster wheel of trying to fill up the wrong desires, to try and care about somebody else, it's going to be like, I got nothing to give. You're not filled. So we're going to face desires every day. But are we choosing to go after the right ones? You know, I don't want to be empty. I don't want to be hollow. I don't want to be unsatisfied. I don't like living that way. You know, we always feel like you have to get somewhere else to really feel great. No, I like living where I go, I love my life. I'm at peace and I'm, you know, fired up even when there's, Struggles going on. And God says, hunger and thirst for righteousness, then you will be filled. The sinful nature is not going to stop. 
But sometimes when we've given in to certain desires, it's hard for us to see life any other way. You know, if you haven't worked out in months or years, the first time you go to the gym, it's painful. But you go consistently, you can get to the point that what's painful is not going. And the same thing's true in your spiritual life. Set your mind and your heart on hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Let's take the opportunities that God gives us and say no to what Satan dangles in front of us. There's no sin that we will ever look back and go, that was worth it. Righteousness is always worth it. Let's deal with desire. Satan's trying to take you out. God wants you to be full. Say, when our heart is where it needs to be, then we've got something to give to other people. Let's put this into practice, and let's keep the right desires at the forefront of our mind as we live for God the rest of our life. Let's deal with desire. Amen. Let's, let's stand together as we close in a final song.